same, and isn't the thought of it a, a very prompting one, a very compelling one? It is our desire to walk hand in hand with the Master. Amos 3.3 3 still reminds us, can two walk together except to be agreed? And so if it's our intent to walk with Jesus, we must agree with Him because He, of course, is in heaven and we'd like to be where He is. It is good to be back with you today. I appreciate so much Brother, Brother Dennis, Brother Gary, as they brought the lessons and the Bible studies last Sunday. Always doing a, such a superb, such a wonderful job. And certainly, Denise and I are thankful to be back with you today. The, the lesson takes us to Mark chapter 10. I'd like you to, to hold your finger there, or at least have available a few of the verses, as we develop a lesson entitled, Making a Difference making a difference. I suspect that the very thought of that title is somewhat interesting. A number of ways, I suppose, it could be developed. It will be our appreciation, though, to take it in a very, fairly specific way that you can already begin to tell as you come near the close of that slide. The thought of the Word of God and its teaching, the way in which it prompts us as we rightly divide it to apply it to our life and our heart, certainly covering every particular desire and demand of our life. There is no question, no circumstance we could ever face, but what somewhere in the Bible is the correct approach in that circumstance. So as you and I strive to implement it and to put it into practice, the way in which we're going to do that today will be with regard to this question. Is your life and mine making a difference? I suppose everybody, surely every thoughtful person would like to say, as he or she approaches the end of his life upon earth, would like to be able to say, I'm confident that my life has made a difference. That I have touched the lives of others in a way that they in fact have been bettered, that they have been motivated to move in the direction of rightness, and that their circumstances because of me are better than they otherwise would have been. To make a difference. I hope that all of us have at least a sentiment or desire to move in that direction. As we develop this lesson, I'm going to use the first part of the lesson as hopefully a reminder of maybe those sentiments. I've entitled it, The Desire of the Heart. None of us need to be reminded that this life, even at its lengthiest, is still brief. And how often does the Bible make that statement? How often are we reminded when the pages of the Word of God, and quite frankly, our own experience would lead us to say this, even if the Scriptures had never acclaimed it. Job said it like this in Job 14.1, Man that is born of woman is a few days. Job knew it. How well did the psalmist declare that the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is there, is there strength, labor, and sorrow, and we soon fly away. We all know life is brief. There are times it is compared to a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away, James 4.13. There are times it's compared to a shadow there are times it's compared to a handbreadth. To say all of that, again, is to say nothing particularly new. But you may notice that the preacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, 
made this statement in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, all is vanity. All is vanity. There have been those who, based on a statement like that one, have reached the conclusion that this life, under any circumstance, they would say, really is more negative than positive. You can't make a firm argument, they would say, that it's worth living. But you and I know that they take verses like that one to a greater extreme than they ought to have been taken. For other parts of that book, same book, point out that as long as we are living for God and living with God and putting into practice those things that He has told us, yes, indeed, this life is worth living. And there is potential and possibility and promise connected to it and that we can make a positive difference not only in our life but in the lives of others whom we may be fortunate to know. To make a difference, you'll notice about the basic part of that slide, the middle part of it. There have been polls that have in fact asked questions of those who are older and asked them to reflect upon their life, what thing do you most wish? Connecting now to the nature of your life, and one of the things that seems common in their statements, I want to have made a difference, a positive difference. I want my life to have counted for something. Maybe as you and I contemplate our life, we may not be 90 years old, we might not even be 80 years old. But isn't it fair to say that as you approach the end of one's life in the flesh, you appreciate that this sojourn we call life in the flesh is soon to approach its end. What has been the meaning of it? Has my life made a difference? The last two sentiments on that slide, perhaps to be highlighted, take this form. I think it's fair to say that every person, psychologists tell us that there is a deep-seated need within us. We want to feel needed. We want to feel to be a contributor. We want to make a difference. Are you and I doing this? If so, how are we doing it? What does the Word of God teach such that we can implant in our thinking the way that the Lord would have us to make a difference. Without any further ado, let's close that slide like this and say, the Bible does have within it instructions to help us, even answering a question such as this one. To that end, Mark chapter 10 will be the place that we will now develop our lesson for the remainder of our time this morning. May I direct your attention to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35 beginning in verse 35 of Mark chapter 10. The text says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may see it, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We can. 
And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You can imagine the scene with me. At this particular point in the Master's life, He, of course, had already selected the apostles, and that had been done a long time previous. And after hearing Him preach and teach and to witness the various things He had done, the time came on one occasion when two of them, particularly James and John, and Matthew's account even adds another name to the list, their mother. Now we all know how a mother wishes the best for her children. And she quite often will sacrificially go to great lengths in order to acquire what she considers best for them. The mother of James and John, together with James and John, came to Jesus. And she voiced a question. In fact, she voiced a desire Will you grant whatever I ask on behalf of my boys? I'm paraphrasing what she said. But you'll notice Jesus then said, What would you like? What are you asking? I want one of my boys to sit on your right hand, the other to sit on your left in your kingdom. Now the Lord had already taught much about the kingdom. He had made references to it and no doubt highlighted the exquisite beauty and grandeur of it. And yet, as this request was made, you notice that the mother of James and John, so Zebedee's wife, she asked, I want one of my boys to sit at head of state on the right and the other to sit as perhaps principal secretary on the left in your kingdom. The master's response went like this. Verse number 38. You don't know what you're asking. Isn't it amazing that the next thing the master said, Can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? Can you be baptized with a baptism that, I'll, that I will be, will be baptized with? Now keep in mind, as you can see the development on that slide, there are a few things that might be worthy of our consideration, one of which is the nature of aspiration. Isn't it true that here this mother, she wanted the greatest for her two boys to occupy high positions of prominence in the kingdom. She no doubt had a regard for the things for which Jesus stood, and she had a regard for the nature of what would be true in that kingdom. I want my sons to be principal factors in it. 
Doesn't that sound like how we started this lesson? I want my boys to make a difference by occupying high positions of authority in the kingdom. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I'll drink of? And as he was referring to James and John, can you drink of the cup that I will drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? I've asked you to notice on the slide. A few things might be very quickly observed. First of all, the word cup. You and I realize many times in the Word of God, the word cup is utilized not with reference to a literal physical container that holds liquid. Now, it's true, sometimes the word cup is used that way. But there are other times such as Psalm 11, verse 6, as well as the others I've listed for your consideration. But times in which the word cup clearly refers to a set of experiences a set of things that a person endures in light of circumstances in life. Sometimes in that list you find the cup of wrath. Other times it's a cup of disappointment, a cup of despair, a cup of difficulty. Maybe all of us at one time or another have had to hold the cup of disappointment. We have, in fact, had our countenance to fall in light of circumstances we face, and maybe they're dealing with health. Maybe they're dealing with other grave matters in life. But suffice it to say, Jesus said, Can you, verse number 38, drink the cup that I'm going to drink? You and I know already that Jesus had endured many things from the Pharisees, Many things from those who did not always agree with what He taught because they considered themselves the officials and the ones who had information. And more than once, they of course would have much to say. They ultimately would put Jesus to death. Jesus told them, you'll notice later in verse number 39, you will drink of the cup. Isn't it true that the apostles bore many things by way of tribulation and difficulty because of their association to Jesus. Do you remember on one occasion when Jesus was on trial, Peter, of course, was there nearby, and there were several who said, weren't you one of them? Peter was afraid for his life. And so he denied even knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but thrice. In fact, even cursing, I don't know the man. He was afraid that association, you see, might bring about a grave difficulty to his life. Jesus assured those apostles, you will drink this cup of challenge and this cup of difficulty. What about the next one? He asked about baptism. He wasn't talking here about baptism in water for remission of sins. The word baptism, you see, is sometimes used in the Bible, indeed, with respect to a literal immersion in water for remission of sins. And that's a critical part, as we know, of the gospel's plan of salvation. But there are other times in the Bible when that word baptism is used in reference to an inundation, an overwhelming in light of other circumstances that go to extreme length. Didn't Jesus Himself say in Matthew 3.11, in fact, as John the Baptist taught about matters touching that particular subject, 
He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you in fire and in the Holy Spirit. Now again, referring to an inundation by those features, or at least those factors, I've asked you to consider that we know in Acts chapter 2, that baptism came about for those apostles. The Holy Spirit came upon them, the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit, and they were inundated, overwhelmed by, and so there are times that word baptism is used with that connection. No wonder here Jesus was perhaps asking them, you don't know what you're asking, but can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Jesus was going to give it all. He will be put to death. The extremity of the wicked way in which the world reacted to Him would take that ultimate and final way. May I ask, were the apostles to meet the end of their life that way? History records, it seems, that the vast majority of them did. In fact, may I ask, James, one of the very ones who came here and asked this question, how did he meet the end of his life in Acts chapter 12? Herod, as you and I well know, ultimately put him to death. Why? Because he was loyal to Jesus. He was baptized, you see, with the overwhelming nature of the end of his life, even in the way not unlike the way in which our Master met his end. Oh, not by crucifixion, I know. But he was put to death because he served Jesus Christ. Maybe it is in that connection we move forward on that slide like this. After making these statements, Jesus said in verse 40, The thing you've asked, I'm not going to grant at this point. To sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. The original language seems to suggest that the wording of that might well be a little bit different than that. In other words, now it's not the time to offer this. You see, you've got to live faithful till death. James and John need to live a life of dedicated faithfulness to God, and only then the appreciation of beauty in the kingdom eternally can be appreciated. But it is in that regard, verse number 41, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation. You can imagine the displeasure in their mind. Look, we have served with Jesus too, and yet these two with their mama have come and asked that they might have a special place in the kingdom. Is it any wonder that Jesus took this opportunity in verse 42 to teach a very dramatic lesson that will be the major point of our study this morning? Jesus called them and said unto them. You can imagine, Jesus, remember, knew what the hearts of people contained, and He knew what they were thinking, and He could see the indignation in the ten. He could see the tension perhaps arising in their heart. Jesus then said in verse number 42, "Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority. Jesus said, you know, we all know that the principal approach of the human family is to seek places of elevation, to seek places of preeminence, to seek places of honor and respect where others look up to you. 
That's just the common lot that many choose to follow. The Gentiles, he said, that, that's the order of their life. But then he said in verse number 43, But so shall it not be among you. Among those apostles, greatness will not come that way. Among those apostles, making a difference in life won't come that way. Among the apostles, truly having the import of life will not come that way. Rather, it says in verse 43, But whosoever will be great among you. Do you want to be great? Do you want to make a difference? Do you truly want to occupy a place of importance and significance? Here's how it shall happen. That one will be accomplished as your minister. And verse 44, whoever among you will be chiefest, the one that will be first, the one that will be in the position of preeminence, will be your servant. Let's close that slide then like this. Jesus, as He made that statement to them, then He listed Himself as a principal example. For in verse 45, even as Brother Lester read it earlier, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. As great as Jesus was, far greater than any president, any Supreme Court justice, far greater than any earthly king, he came not to put together a group of thousands of people to walk around and serve His every wish and need. He never, he never proceeded along that pathway. But rather it says, He came to minister, He came to serve others, and to give His life a ransom for many. Isn't it still something to remark as you think about the Lord's washing of the feet of the disciples in John 13? Here was the king of the universe humbling himself to the point where he washed the feet of the apostles. That was such a moving moment and such a moving experience that Peter said, You'll never wash my feet. And the Lord responded, If I don't wash, then you're not one of mine. Teaching forevermore the powerful beauty of not only humility, but of service. The latter part of our lesson this morning, let's develop that with but two applications. One of which proceeds like this. Do you and I want to make a difference? Do we want to be great? Do we want to be individuals of importance? Then it begins like this. Twice the Master said to those apostles, though the Gentiles long for and pursue these matters of lordship and of greatness from human standpoint, among you it will not be this way. The person that's great is the person that's the servant. That seems so different than the typical world acclaim. It seems to be, in fact, just the opposite. But yet Jesus came to, in essence, turn the truth so different from what the world would think it would be. Is any wonder in Acts 17, 6, these that teach things like this have turned the world upside down. There have been those who have said a paradox as truth standing on its head to gain attention. The greatest of all is the one that's the servant.
how great are you and I? It all starts with clearly we've got to adopt and to have a servant's heart, an attitude of service. For without that, we can never be great in the eyes of God, and we will never have that opportunity, if you please, to make the difference as we could. I've asked you to think about several verses in light of a servant's heart. Our world, again, typically looks about this so different. To be great is to occupy a position of respect and have others serve you. But Jesus said it just the opposite to that. In the estimation of heaven, in the estimation of the God of heaven, to be great demands service. How are you and I doing at this? Are we willing to serve others? Are we happy in that kind of activity? Or do we seemingly shun that and demand that others serve us? It is a good question, isn't it? We quite often motivate ourselves in the latter. But may we never forsake the former. May we never completely set it aside, for if we do, as the Lord has just taught us, we can never be the greatest in the kingdom we can be. I've asked you to consider Matthew 25, verse 14. What was it that Jesus spoke concerning that matter related to judgment? We remember it well. There was a five-talent man, a two-talent man, and a one-talent man. And the former, you remember, they put their talents into practice. Now, we know that talent was exactly this consideration, touching an amount of money, but the teaching is clear enough. In that, the Lord demanded that those things be put to use. They acquired, you see, that which was more than what they had been given. But did you notice? They put it to the usury, as that text would describe it. They put it to use. Are you and I using the capabilities that we do enjoy? in such a way that we are serving others with them. That service will mean our family. It will mean those near to us. It will mean, of course, our spiritual family as well. May I again ask, how are we doing at this? That attribute of service, may I suggest, in Matthew 25 is heightened this way. Allow me to read part of this one. The scene again touches the judgment. And without reading all of it, let me just direct your attention only to a couple of the verses. Matthew 25, verse number 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Six things are listed. Every one of them touched something in service. Something to do with providing food to the hungry, clothe clothing to those that are naked or bereft of clothing, those that are sick and yet service rendered in terms of coming to them and making available that which they need. Even those in prison, we see the point. 
on that fine, final and grand day of judgment, something to be noted about the degree of one's service. Have you emptied yourself in light of that which is better for someone else? A servant's heart. That's a challenging thought, isn't it? As you and I close that slide, oh, what an example was Jesus when it came to a subject like this one. He had everything when He was in heaven. All of its splendor, all of its glory, all of that which attached to existence there. He had it. Philippians 2 verse 5 quickly points out, Let this mind be new, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. You and I are admonished in that regard as well, aren't we? But may I be quick to say that the second and final lesson is this. It's not merely a servant's heart. It is the actual matter in service as well. Again, did you note with me verse number 44, Mark chapter 10. And whoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. As we've already noted, all of us are thus expected to be servant. But to be the greatest means to be servant of all. This final development of the lesson then will be this. May you and I not then think that there are certain works that are beneath me. I'm a little bit too good for that. I'm a little bit too much in betterment for that. If Jesus could wash the feet of the apostles, and if He could encourage service in light of what we've seen in verses 43 and 44, then might you and I appreciate how lovely it is to be a child of God in the kingdom, happy and willing to use our capabilities in the degree of service in whatever means we can. That given idea, that given thought points all of us to this. In Matthew 10, 41, Jesus discussing a point much like this there said, Even those who give a cup of cold water in my name shall in no wise lose their reward. There might be some that would think to give a cup of water, that seems rather low, doesn't it? That doesn't take any talent. It doesn't take any knowledge, education, or even particular ability. But yet, Notice the God of heaven is aware of even those who give a cup of cold water in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ. Among other things, that motivates us to make sure we always do things for the right reason and to make sure we do it in His name, for the credit doesn't belong to us. It does belong to Him. To give a cup of cold water takes us then to verse 42. Matthew chapter number 10. And as we close our lesson, making a difference. Are you and I making a difference in the standpoint of how God would look with pleasing character upon it? To do so, we must be servants. Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servants of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Are you a servant to Jesus Christ today? If so, then you are making a difference. You can rest assured of it. You can be confident of it. Your life is worthwhile and it is making that which would be pleasing to God 
It's impacting all of eternity in the way that's good. But if you're not a servant to Jesus Christ, you're not making a difference as you could. Your life has a degree of hollowness, a degree of emptiness, a degree that is so far beneath what it could be. The best life by far is the Christian life. It's a life filled with promise here and promise hereafter. But the life that is not directed following the service to Jesus, again, is a life that's here steeped in sin. And if not repaired by way of obedience at the day of judgment, it'll be forever separated from God. Today, if there's anyone in this audience with the need to turn your life over to be a servant to Jesus Christ, don't delay another moment, but come while together we stand and while we sing.